0: At the risk of isolating myself from, from the faithful, dare I say, f- the fanatical, the devotees of the superhero genre, uh, I'm going to go out on a shaky limb and, uh, and just say I'm not a real big fan of those movies. i just not. They seem uh, a little uh, cliche, uh, a little too predictable, a little too CGI, a little too junior high for my taste. Um, they seem a little boring. And I think that's in part due to the, the fact that these superheroes, they're just becoming too powerful. They're too powerful. So no matter what obstacle comes their way, you just kind of have this sense that they're going to figure it out in the end. They're going to get strong. They're going to get together. They're going to get it done. And even those times when a superhero falls... You kind of have in the back of your mind this feeling that somehow they're going to come back because they have some power that we didn't know about, and boom, there they are. They're just a little too powerful. I think they're a little, um, they're a little too unrelatable for me, uh, despite my, my childhood dreams of one day becoming a superhero or a super spy or a super athlete. I'm not a super anything. Not a super anything. I, I've got poor eyesight. I'm colorblind. My hearing is not the best. I'm mildly coordinated occasionally. I, uh, I have a weak stomach. I, I'm a slow reader. I'm a poor speller. I'm no good at doing math on, in my head. And, and my hair is gray. I, it's just, I'm just not very super. And the same goes for my spiritual life. Uh, I, I haven't seen any visions, I haven't heard the audible voice of God. I've watched as so many other uh, guys uh, excel. And and they just go on to do great things. Well, I just felt like I was spinning my wheels. I'm no Noah. I'm no David. I'm no Joseph. And I'm certainly no Abraham. Have you ever felt that way? Just ordinary? Can you relate? You read the Bible and you, you, you know that God's got a big plan for the world. There are giants that have walked before you. It, it, you just feel like this, this, this little fish in this big pond or this small voice in this massive crowd. You don't have all the answers. You don't have any built-in spiritual GPS. No super standout abilities or insights. You're not a superhero. You're not a super Christian. You're not a super anything. In fact, you're, you relate more to the anti-hero. The guy in the story who doesn't have any of those hero attributes. Maybe the man or the woman whose name isn't even mentioned. That's who our passage focuses on this morning. The man with no name. He's a man who's given this great big assignment without a ton of direction. And the question we need to ask ourselves as we look at this this morning is how do you journey through life and achieve what God has for you when you're just an ordinary person? That, that little fish in that big pond or maybe that, that small blip in the massive sea of social media when you're just like this man who wasn't even significant enough to be mentioned by name. Let's take a moment, let's look at Genesis 24, and we're going to watch how this man with no name brings glory to God. And this is a long chapter before us this morning, and so instead of standing and reading through it like we normally do, we'll just walk through it as we go. So draw your attention, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, and look with me at verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen as well. It says, now Abraham was old we've been talking about Abraham for a long time. He was a hundred years old when Isaac came. Yes, he is old. He's old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Actually, let's pause right there for a moment. Let's stop right there. This servant, all we know of this man is that he's Abraham's servant. We know that he's an important servant. He's in charge of the whole household, trusted. He may be the servant that we read of in Genesis 15. Do you remember? Abraham's worried a son isn't coming, and he says to God, God, is my inheritance, is, is Eleazar gonna be my heir? It could be Eleazar of Damascus. That could be the servant. If that was the case, then this assignment that Abraham is about to give him, it may not have been all that welcome. I mean, just think if, if there was once a possibility where you may have been next in line for greatness. You were next in line for an inheritance, an enormous amount of wealth. You were looking forward to it. It was looking like it was really probably going to happen. The, the, the buzz in the household among all the other servants was, yeah, we think, we think it's this guy. We, th- we think it's you. I think it might be you. And you know what? Abraham and Sarah, they weren't getting any younger. With each passing day, it seemed more and more likely that you were going to receive the inheritance. You were the lucky guy. And then, boom, out of nowhere, Isaac How is this possible? In an instant, all your hopes and dreams, they just vanish into thin air. And now you're asked to do something to help this latecomer, this unexpected usurper of the glory that you were looking forward to. This may have been a difficult pill to swallow. What was he asked to do? Verse two, Abraham says to him, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. So Abraham, the ask is this. Abraham asks that this servant go and find a wife For his son Isaac. Now, regardless as to whether or not this servant held any resentment in his heart toward Isaac, this was was an important task. It was a challenging task, it was a weighty task, and that's because it was connected. In fact, it was an important piece on which the fulfillment of God's great promise rested. See, God had told Abraham that through him, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. He told them that he would have descendants. He was going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and those descendants were going to be a blessing, and they were also going to inherit this land. Abraham and Sarah, they felt the weight of that promise. If you've been with us over the past many, many weeks, we've talked about that weight and how it, it was excruciatingly long. Was God going to come through on this promise? Because if he's going to come through, well, then we, we have to have a child. And it doesn't seem like it's coming. But at long last, at 90 years old, Sarah miraculously gives birth to Isaac. Isaac. Before she died, at least Sarah knew that God had accomplished the part of the promise that had to do with her in her lifetime. But now the fulfillment of that promise, you know who it rested on? It rested on Isaac and his wife. Isaac needed to have children. Couldn't do that alone. He needed a wife. And Abraham wisely knew that this wife for Isaac, well, it needed to be someone special. She was going to take the place of his wife, Sarah. She was now going to be the the instrument through which God was going to bring about his promise. She needed to be someone special, just couldn't be just anyone, and knew that God must have a hand in this. So the servant is asked to go and find her. What an assignment! Can you imagine that weight of responsibility on your shoulders? The servant must have felt the gravity of the call because of the way Abraham asks him. Sounds a little odd to our ears. He asks him to put his hand under his thigh. Now, I'm so thankful that we don't have that, this custom in this day and age. A little strange. But it seems like It seems like that in asking the servant to do this, Abraham was making it very, very clear that the job that he's about to do is a job that is directly connected to the covenant. The covenant. It had something to do with the covenant. It had something to do with circumcision. It had everything to do with the fulfillment of God's promise through Abraham's bloodline. This was a sacred assignment. This had to do with the propagation of Abraham's line through which God would bring blessing to all the nations. And because it's so important, Abraham makes a condition very, very clear. He makes him swear that he would not find a wife for his son Isaac from the daughters of the Canaanites. Don't go to the Canaanites. We're living among these Canaanites. Don't go to those people and find a wife for him there. Why could that be? Maybe that has something to do with Genesis 9. Do you remember what happened to Noah after the flood? Do you remember his son walked in on him? There's some type of interaction there, and his son goes and tells his brothers, and, and then Noah pronounces a curse. Do you remember this? In Genesis nine twenty four? it says this, when Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Don't go find a wife for my son from Canaan. Instead, go to my people. Go to my country. Go to my people. And at that point, the servant's realizing, okay, it, it, this is narrowing the field of the possibility here. How many eligible young ladies are out there? And he asked a question that I think you and I probably would have asked the same thing. Well, what, what if I go to your country and I talk to the, the women there and no one wants to come back with me? What about that? It's a reasonable question, isn't it? <laughs> Very reasonable. He says, should I go look somewhere? If, if there's no one there, should I go look somewhere else? Should I go back to the place that God called you from? And to that, Abraham says, absolutely not. See, the promise that God had given him was looking forward. It was about moving forward. It wasn't about going backward. And so going back to Ur and finding a moon worshiper for his son Isaac to marry, that just wouldn't do. Was not acceptable. Couldn't happen. Instead, the old man of faith tells the servant Just go forward trusting God. Look at verse 7. The Lord, this is Abraham talking, "the, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Essentially, He's telling this servant, go do what I've asked you to do. And God is going to go before you. He's going to make it happen. Have you ever had someone tell you something like that? When I was in college, I was uh, working in junior high ministry, but I was really trying to figure out what God wanted to do with my life. People were telling me, God has a purpose for your life. I'm like, okay, well, how do I figure out what that purpose is? And then I was up at a college retreat up at Thousand Pines Christian Camp. Some of you guys are familiar with that. And the speaker that year was a, a local university, Christian University professor, a Bible teacher. It was incredible incredible gifted speaker and and just hearing different stories from students who had taken classes from him. They're just like, you take his class, it'll change your life. He was having an impact on young people. And as he's speaking, I'm beginning to think, maybe that's what God has for me. Maybe he wants me to be a Christian college professor so that I can impact these these lives for Christ. Maybe God wants to do something really big for me. So I I went up to the speaker after one of the sessions and I just said, you got to tell me, how do I get to where you are today and he stared at me didn't say anything for a few moments and then he said jared i didn't plan this i didn't i didn't plan to be here now doing this i just looked out for the opportunities that that god seemed to lay out before me i trust in his i trusted in his leading and i stepped forward He said, trust him, obey him, and he'll put you where he wants you. That's what Abraham is basically telling this servant. Be faithful to to answer God's call. And, 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 And God will be faithful to lead you on your way. That faithfulness, that word for faithfulness is brought up four times in this chapter. The Hebrew word hesed. It carries this idea of loyalty. It's a a relational word. It's about being faithful. It's about sticking to the plan. It's about coming through on what you've promised, about loving without fail, not turning to the right or to the left, but moving forward in a straight line. It describes a steadfast, loyal love. I like what Sally Lloyd-Jones says of this in her Jesus Storybook Bible for little kids. If you've got little kids and you don't have this thing, get it. In fact, if you don't have it, come talk to me and I will get you one because this is it's so good. She says, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what we're talking about here. Hased isn't mentioned here in verse 7 mentioned other places in this chapter, not mentioned here in verse seven, but that's definitely what we're talking about. God was going to be faithful to his word, faithful to bring about all that he had promised, faithful in love to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Abraham needed to be faithful, faithful as he trusted and obeyed God, as he lived life, as he made decisions, as he took risks, Believing that God was going to be faithful to what he promised. Abraham's servant needed to be faithful, faithful as well as he listened to what Abraham said, stepped out, and trusted God along the way. Now, this guy didn't have any superhero abilities. No ability to see in the future and know for certain this is the way it's going to turn out. He didn't have any x ray vision or a God's will for your life detector. He didn't have any of that stuff. All he had was his faith in a faithful God. How do you journey through life and achieve what God has for you when you're just an ordinary person? No one's special. How do regular guys and girls, men and women, bring glory to God through their everyday lives? You do it by stepping forward. Stepping forward with faith in the faithful God. Here's the the no-names guide to glory. As we walk by faith, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes in and through our lives. Good enough. It's the main point. We're done, right? No, 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 no. We got to see what happens here. We need to see how God's faithfulness plays out in this chapter. Will God enable this no-name servant to find this all-important wife for Isaac? Will the servant have faith? Look at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. Remember those camels from way back when? These are like like luxury automobiles. These are fancy rides here. Took 10 of them and he departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Now that's a really, really short verse to describe an epic journey. This was a journey from where Abraham was in Beersheba to Nahor. This was a journey of 1,000 miles. The average camel, is I, I looked up, if it's bearing a, a load of about 200 pounds, it, travels at about, it can travel about 40 miles in a day. The average person can, can travel about 20 to 30 miles in a day. This took a long time. This may have taken a month, two months to get there. It was a slow journey. And when he finally arrived, he came to a well. It was evening. It was the time when the the sun just the rays are at the right angle, and it just makes everything picture-perfect, golden, colors just burst with with beauty. And at that time, the women in that culture in that time they would come out to the well and they would gather water for the rest of the evening. That's when the no-name servant prayed. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show your steadfast love, there's that word, to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women, young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you've shown steadfast love to my master. So here he is, finally arrived, the long awaited moment. He's here sitting by the spring. It was go time. It was time to start really working on the mission he had been called to, getting down to business. He could have began going through the city, making inquiries. He could have just stood off in the corner and just scoped things out. He could have checked off, okay, does that person have the criteria I'm looking for? He could have done all of those things, but instead he stops and he prays. Why? Because he knows that his God is, isn't just the God of the the big mountain-forming moments of life. No, no, no. God is at work and in control through all of life's moments, through all of them. He's at work in the extraordinary, and he's at work in the ordinary. This no name servant was trusting God, that God would lead him to the right girl. As you and I stare life's challenges in the face, the big ones, and the small ones. Are we trusting in God's faithfulness? Is that where our trust is? Are we relying on his steadfast love and faithfulness towards us? His unwavering commitment to accomplish his purposes in our lives. It's about walking by faith. Walking by faith means trusting in his faithfulness. Trusting in his faithfulness. It means relying day to day on his unbreaking, always and forever love for you and I. And God is faithful. His steadfast love and kindness endures forever. The Bible says that over and over and over again. The woman that this servant was looking for, we already mentioned, was a, is a particular type of woman. I imagine this servant thought, you know what? This woman needs to be a woman of great kindness. She needs to be a woman of of incredible generosity. She's gonna be, after all, she's gonna be brought into this covenant relationship here and now through her, God's blessing is going to come. All the nations are gonna be blessed through her. She's gotta be someone really, really special. She'd have to be someone who was gladly willing to give of of herself for others and that's exactly the type of person that God brought. Actually, God's provision is such that so very often, maybe you've experienced this very often, he's working before you even ask. A couple uh, Last year, last year about this time, we were in need. Our school was in need for significant finances. We, we were hoping, Lord, help us to be able to keep the doors open. And the leadership team was, was coming to the realization, okay, this is at the point where we got to let the congregation know about this. And we need to get everyone praying. We need to get everyone working to, to meet this need. And so we set a date where we were going to have a congregational meeting, and we were going to announce the news, and no one really wanted to do that. We weren't looking forward to it. We were praying hard. And two days before, two days before the meeting, before we even let People know of the need. About two-thirds of what was needed came in from someone who had no idea. God is amazing, isn't he? That's what happens here. He, he, his provision is incredible. And we're, we're called to walk by faith as we look to it, as we trust in it, as we rely on it. That's what happens in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Coincidence? I don't think so. This verse means that even before the servant started praying, God was already lining things up so that at just the right time, Rebekah's going to come out. Amazing. Before he even finished praying, she shows up. Look at verse 16. The woman, the young woman, was very attractive in appearance. A maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, came up. Then the servant ran out to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they've finished drinking. She quickly emptied the jar into the trough, ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. How many camels? Ten camels. This is incredible. God made it crystal clear here's the one. You were praying. This is exactly the one you're looking for. And boy, is she generous. In my study of this, I've found that the ancient wells and the way it describes it here, they're different than the, than the wells that we think of. My dad built kind of this uh, quasi kind of well facade at, at our house, and it looks like the standard thing with like the, the bricks around it and the little, little house thing. And then it's got a bucket on a, str- on a rope, and you lower it down, and it goes down, and you get water, right? kind of nice and efficient and, you know, a little arm workout, but that's about it. No, 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 the well's here and and is described here. It says she went down to the spring. This type of well was a big hole in the ground with steps down into it. And what you would do is you take your jar, usually about three gallon, a three gallon jar, you take it down there, you'd fill this thing, and three gallons is is pretty heavy. And, And you bring this thing back up. That was a workout. To do it twice was a workout. How many times did she have to do it for these camels? Have you thought about that? How many times? Well, given that each camel usually drinks about 25 gallons. 25 gallons. And it says, I'll draw water for your camels until they've finished drinking. She was at this for quite a while she may have gone down 80 to 100 times. This may have taken an hour and a half to two hours. This is amazing. Not only was she kind, not only was she generous, this lady is a hard worker. It's amazing. And we read in verse 21, the servant, he just watched in silence. Silent on the outside, nothing coming from his mouth, but I'll bet there were Fireworks going off inside. His pulse must have been just racing. <laughs> Answer to God's prayer. "Is this the one, Lord? It sure looks like she's the one. Is she the one?" As soon as she finishes, he showers her with gifts of gold. And then he asks her, uh, who's, "Who's your father?" And, and, and you guys have room at your house so that I can stay there until the, the night?" And she answers. Her father was actually the nephew of Abraham. Yes, there's room in the house. The list, check, check. This is too good to be true. (laughs) It could only be true because God's made it so. God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to Abraham, it's being shown here. Verse 26, the man bowed his head, and worship the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his steadfast love and kindness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. There can be no other proper response when God delivers like this. He so clearly demonstrates to us that that has said, that steadfast love and faithfulness, there's no other response than just to fall down and just to worship him for who he is and that's what we do or what we're supposed to do when we gather together every Sunday morning and we do it in response to what God has done for us that has said that he has shown us in Jesus Christ because of Christ and what he did on the cross we are now children of the promise this is amazing and the, we got to we just got to burst forth with worship and as we worship, we remind each other. We remind each other that our God is faithful. He's faithful. And we encourage one another to trust his faithfulness. Back at Rebecca's house, the servant, he's welcomed. A, a, a meal is set out before him. But you know what he does? He says, No food right now. Thank you. No food. I will not eat, he says in verse 33, until I've said what I have to say. He was all about the business that he had been called to. Before anything else, before any enjoyment of of Rebecca's family's hospitality, he makes it clear, I'm here for a job. I'm here for a reason. I've got to finish this. He was all about seeking first the things that he was called to do. What are... What are our priorities in life? Are you and I getting so busy, so busy getting our own lives all set up that we've put God's purposes on hold? Do we say things like, God, I'll, I'll get right to telling others about Jesus and about uh, helping others grow in their relationship with you, making disciples. I'll, I'll get right to that as soon as I get out of school, or, or, or as soon as I get that job, or get married, or finish raising kids. That's taken a lot of time and energy. Or make it to retirement. I'll have some more time then, or after I go on that vacation. Is that where we're at? Or how about this? God, I'll use, I'll use the money that you've entrusted me with, that you've, you've given me out of your goodness. I'll use that for your purposes. Yeah, I'll use that to bless others. And I'll use that to build your church as soon as I have enough in the bank account to make me feel secure. Or as soon as I have enough to buy that house or that car or that new gadget, or as soon as I have enough to pay off my my child's college tuition. That could be a long time. Remember the young man that came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And after he had reassured Jesus that he had kept every single one of those commandments, Jesus tells him, Go sell all you possess. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Boy, that is a tall order, isn't it? That is not easy to let go, is it? Not easy to seek first the kingdom of God and then trust in his steadfast love and faithfulness that that's going to bring everything else you need. And yet that's exactly what we do when we walk by faith. And walking by faith, it, it, it means trusting in his faithfulness. But it also means giving priority to accomplishing the work that he has for us. It means seeking first the kingdom and trusting that he's going to take care of all those other needs, that he's going to provide all of those other things. Why are you worrying about these things, Jesus said? The servant tells Rebecca's brother, Laban, and her father, Bethuel, of his mission. An incredible way God has answered prayer. Look at verse 49. Now then, if you... Are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master? Tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. There was no doubt in anyone's mind at this point that God had done a work here. Both brother and father, they give their consent. And at that point, the servant he, he bows himself to the ground again. He gives worship to God once again. Lord, your hand is in this. They've even agreed to let her go. And then he just busts open the treasure chests. And he starts lavishing on Rebekah fine clothes and jewelry of gold and silver. And then he starts giving gifts to all of the family members. And then they call it a night. Now what happens the next morning is something we're gonna revisit when we get to chapter 29 and we talk about Laban again. And we'll revisit it because uh, it seems like what the Laban and, and, and Rebecca's mother's request that's given here, it seems like it sheds a little bit of light on another characteristic of Laban that we're going to figure out in the days to come. Basically, they say, can't you just, let's, let's, let's give it some time. Let's wait about 10 days before Rebecca goes with you. And leading us to believe, as we take into account all of these different things, leading us to think, maybe something shady is going on here. I think Laban's trying to pull something sneaky here. But at any rate, he says, no, 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 I got to take her back now And then they say, okay, we'll leave it up to Rebecca. Will you go with this man? And in a demonstration of her own trust in God, she says, she just says, I will go. And everything in her life, very, very similar to Abraham's response to God's call in his life. Lord, I'll go. I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know what this life is going to look like. I don't know what you're going to do. I'll go. Incredible faith. A blessing is given, and they start on the long journey home. Let's just read together the the last part here, verse 61. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahairoi, "'and was dwelling in the Negev. "'And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, "'and he lifted up his eyes and saw, "'and behold, there were camels coming. "'And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. "'And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel "'and said to the servant, "'Who is that man walking in the field to meet us?' "'The servant said, "'It is my master.' "'She took her veil, covered herself.' And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's beautiful. Now this story, it's not about... The suggestion that we tell God exactly how we want him to line the circumstances up so that we know for sure what his will is. This isn't about establishing criteria for God to follow to determine his will. No, it's not that. Lord, uh, I'm, I'm going to drive to the donut shop, and if there is an empty space right in front, well, then I'll know that you want me to go in, you want me to sit down and have an apple fritter. It's not about that. No, It's to remind us that God is God and he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He's in control of all things from the extraordinary to the ordinary and he calls us to trust him. As we've been going through Genesis, we keep coming back to this passage in Proverbs over and over again. Let's read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, all all of them. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do you and I trust him? You don't need to be a superhero, a super athlete, super Christian, or super anything for him to accomplish his purposes in your life, to bring him glory through your life. All you need to do is walk by faith. As we walk by faith in God, he's faithful to accomplish His purposes in and through our lives. Walking by faith means trusting in His faithfulness. It means making a priority His work, accomplishing His work, being about His business in our lives. This is the no-names guide to glory. It's not about your ability. It's all about trusting and relying on His ability. And we know that for those who love God, who will not forsake steadfast love and faithfulness toward those who believe. Would you pray with me?